0: Everybody, welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Inside the Hexagon. I am your host as always, Phil Landitis, and alongside me is my co-host, Josh Molina. Josh, how you doing, man?
1: Phil, great to be here. I'm so excited for the show. It is the Miracle in San Jose. <laughs> the re- and and not just that, but it's the rematch of El Nino and the punk and the strike force debut of We haven't talked about it much yet, but one of my all-time favorites Money weight, uh, King Mo.
0: Yes. Yeah, I, I I heard him say that in his post fight. I I did not remember hearing that, so I thought that was uh, King Mo was all about the money for sure. He was all about the money. So we're we'll we'll talk more about that. Uh, as we record this, it is WrestleMania weekend, and as you all know, as our our faithful listeners, Josh and I are both big wrestling fans. So we've been doing a lot more talking about. Uh, WWE and WrestleMania over the last couple of days than we have MMA, but we do have a, 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 an episode to record, so we want to get to that. Uh, just for our, our listeners that have not tuned in before, Inside the Hexcon, is about walking through the major events, fighters, and milestones of Strike Force, which was a very important and innovative MMA promotion that existed from 2006 until 2013. And on today's episode, we are covering Strike Force Evolution, which took place on December 19th, 2009, at the vaunted HP Pavilion in San Jose, California, my home arena. The main event of Scott Smith versus Kung Lee and the co main event of Gilbert Melendez versus Josh Thompson drew very well. Nearly 15,000 fans in attendance. Melendez Thompson, too, lived up to the hype created by their first encounter. While Scott Smith once again proved that he was MMA's comeback kid by pulling another miracle seemingly out of thin air. A very, very exciting event. You also got the money weight King Mo, uh, and some other cool fights to talk about. And I want to mention... Yeah, go ahead, Josh. It,
1: it should be noted, too, since you uh, you know talked about WrestleMania weekend, that this show also featured... At least sitting, not in a fight, but the debut of Bobby Lashley, who coincidentally now, you know, is you're obviously you know a WWE champion. So it's interesting. I'm sure you saw Bobby Lashley in the crowd watching this, but yep. he was one. He was one of the luminaries they they introduced. So it's it's one of those things again where, geez, it feels like so long ago, but not really. And it's such a small world, and here we are, and this guy's like the king of it. A different industry right now
0: yeah absolutely uh so yeah we'll, we'll get to bobby we'll, we'll he's going to be fighting actually at the next strike force event that we're going to cover but we do mention him briefly briefly later on in this episode all right want to mention inside the hexagon is a proud member of the evergreen podcast network uh, we'll be talking about more and more on that you can check out other shows on the network at evergreenpodcast.com but we're proud to be part of that network all right, the previous Strike Force event was Fedor versus Rogers. It was uh, it's always going to be remembered for being the Strike Force debut of Fedor Emelianenko, the greatest heavyweight MMA fighter of all time. On our most recent episode, you could hear Josh and I discuss the Mount Rushmore of uh, heavyweight MMA fighters and and we both agree that Fedor definitely belongs and, and that he's the top one of all time. Uh, but Fedor knocked out Brett Rogers in the main event established in the Russian as a Strike Force star. Strikeforce also had a new middleweight champion as Jake Shields bested Jason Mayhem Miller with a unanimous decision win. And both Gegard Mousasi and Fabricio Verdun continued their winning ways inside the Hexcon, setting up big future fights for each of them. Plus, Chris Cyborg ostensibly had her first title challenger lined up as Marlou's Conan submitted Roxanne Motiferi to set up Cyborg versus Conan. All right. Evolution was announced in early November. Three new Strikeforce signings would also make their hexagon debuts, uh, including former Olympic silver medalist Matt Lindland, former dream middleweight champ Ronaldo, or Ronaldo, I oh, I was, yeah, it should be Ronaldo. I don't remember ever hearing that, but anyways, we just call him Jacare, Souza, and rising star Mohamed King Mo Lawal. We'll discuss more on these men when we get to their fights on this card. Uh, it was soon after revealed that Scott Smith would welcome Kung Lee back to the cage and that Josh Thompson would finally defend his Strike Force lightweight belt against Gilbert Melendez's interim version. As a result, Evolution had its top two fights. Also, it was revealed that Mike Whitehead, who had beaten Kevin the Monster Randleman in his Strike Force debut, would be taking on King Mo. Uh, in, in a very spooky foreshadowing of what was to come, Kung told Tap Out Radio in an interview about taking on Scott Smith, quote, he's active right now, he's been fighting a lot, and he's one of those guys that don't really care. He's just going to go in there and bang and try to go toe-to-toe with you. He's one of those guys that are dangerous in all rounds. He's got knockouts in the third round before. It's going to be a fight the whole time. (laughs) And that would be (laughs) truer words were never spoken.
1: Should have listened to himself. Should have listened to himself.
0: All right, In the, well, we'll get there. In the main event of the undercard, former—and by the way, Josh, I don't know how you feel about this. I know this isn't a major deal, but I always consider it to be the final fight on the undercard to be, like, the main event of the undercard or the spotlight fight of the undercard. Yeah, do, you have, do you agree with me? Any difference of opinion on that? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah nothing real controversial there, but— uh, in, in the main event of the undercard, former K1 fighter, uh, uh, which, I, which I didn't put his name in here, Scott Lighty, Former K1 fighter turned Strike Force competitor Scott Lighty would return to Strike Force to take on Antoine Britt, the juggernaut, in an anticipated matchup. It's also worth mentioning that Robbie Lawler was supposed to fight on this card, but ended up being pulled when original opponent Trevor Prangley got injured. Some other names were reportedly considered, but none worked out. So the reemergence of Ruthless would have to wait. And this would affect the card. This card, there are only seven fights on this card, including three on the undercard. Uh, there were some other changes. Um, there was one card that was, or one of one fight that was dropped from the undercard. Uh, the, the, essentially the week of the fight. And then of course the, the ruthless Robbie Lawler fight was dropped. So four on the main card, three on the, on the undercard, pretty short. All right, let's jump into what was going on in the UFC at the time. Same champions as before BJ Penn at lightweight, GSP at welterweight, Anderson Silva at middleweight, Leota Machida still at light heavyweight. And Brock Lesnar was still the undisputed heavyweight champion. The closest UFC event to what we're talking about to, uh, to evolution was UFC 107. Uh, Penn versus Sanchez emanating from the FedEx Forum in Memphis, Tennessee uh, on December 12, 2009, so just a week before Evolution, UFC 107 drew just under 14,000 for a gate of 1.5 million as well as by, as well as a pay-per-view buy rate of 620,000. On the undercard, Husamar Palhares submitted Lucio Linares with shocker a heel hook submission. I don't believe this was one of the ones that he held on to for too long. Uh, and then Johnny Hendricks beat Hicardo Funch with a unanimous decision. On the main card, Stefan Struve defeated former Strike Force Heavyweight Title Challenger and UFC Heavyweight Title Challenger, Paul the Headhunter Buentello via majority decision.
1: One, one of your favorite fighters. Yeah,
0: one of my favorite fighters. Absolutely mm-hmm. not one of Scott Cokers, but one of mine. <laughs> uh, Kenny Florian submitted Clay Glida, Clay Guida, excuse me, also a former Strike Force lightweight champion with a rear-naked choke. And Frank Muir got a technical submission win over Czech Congo. In the main event, BJ Penn took home a fifth-round TKO win via doctor stoppage to retain the UFC lightweight title in his bout against Diego Sanchez. That's right. Diego Sanchez got a UFC lightweight title shot at one point, so long time ago. All right. The closest Challengers event to what we're talking about is Strike Force Woodley versus Bears it took place on November 20th 2009 so almost a full month before Evolution it was at the Memorial Hall in Kansas City Kansas drew 2088 raucous fans this event is on UFC Fight Pass, and I watched some of it. Current UFC lightweight contender Michael Chandler won a second-round TKO on the undercard, while Rafael Fizdale got a win with a second-round TKO over Andrew, I'm sorry, Aaron Rosa. Kim Couture took a bad loss to Kerry Vera in the first round via TKO, and in the main event, Tyron Woodley made it five straight to open his career, getting an arm triangle choke submission win over at Rudy Bears. And wanted to point out on commentary right after the bat, bout, Pat Milatich. Called Woodley the best athlete in MMA, which was quite a statement to make for a guy that was still on the rise. I, I did want to mention real quick I watched the. Oh, I will tour. say
1: Pat Militek's known for making some sweeping statements. That That's true. It that is true. true. But before you go there, Michael Chandler was in uh, Strike Force? I have yes, no he, idea.
0: He actually fought twice for wow. Strike Force. So I think this was the first one, and then I think he fought once more. But he never, would, never a spotlighted imagine, fighter. Can
1: you imagine if he stayed in Strike Force, he would have been the UFC a lot sooner. I mean, he had a great career at Bellator, but it's just crazy. I had no idea that Yeah. you know, he was there. He he could have been part of the group that went to the UFC earlier and who knows yeah. how that Well,
0: I mean, out. remember, you had Cain Velasquez uh, fought very early on for Strike Force. Uh Nate Diaz fought in the first or second event for Strike Force. I mean, there Clay Guida was their first lightweight champion. I mean, there's a bunch of guys and gals that came through Strike Force uh before they ever got to the UFC or Bellator. So I did want to mention, I watched the Kim Couture fight and I, you know, no disrespect to, to Miss Couture, but I, I mean, any, <laughs> any fighter that performed to her level that didn't have the last name Couture would have never gotten a second look. I mean, she just, she looked better than she did in her first fight in, yeah. in Strike Force and she still got killed by Brandon Vera's wife, Carrie in this. <laughs> I mean, just, it was so, uh, you know. It, it just was bad. She just was. She was just not a good fighter. I mean, it's so, just the way it is. I, much respect for her for getting in the cage, but she got there because of who her husband was. There's just no doubt about it.
1: So, since we're talking recording on WrestleMania weekend, if she were a pro wrestler, Phil, would she be like Lana? Like, like. like I think Lana's compar-
0: better than, sh- than, than 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 Lana's <laughs> better at wrestling than. Yeah, I, I mean That's Lana. there <laughs> Lana has other. You know, <laughs> she's obviously very. Assets. Yeah, there you go. There you yes. go. She's got other assets. So, you know, there's other reasons other than her you know <laughs> you know, Jack Briscoe like uh catches can not catch can style of wrestling <laughs> that you know there's other reasons she's in there. Uh so and Kim Kutura was obviously a very, very attractive woman as well. But um I, I yeah, I, I just I mean look, and it still happens today. Uh Rachel Ostevich, I think is her last name. I mean, she's you know, absolutely gorgeous and but she's got a sub 500 record and yet she still keeps getting you I think she's cut now I'm not can't remember exactly but you know it, it does happen in MMA it does you know there are good looking people that get on on of both genders that get opportunities that others don't it's just kind of the way it works and I, I don't think it happens as often and I don't think it, I'm not saying it's fair but it is you know still something and especially back in 2009 so uh but yeah before I say anything that I'm going to regret let's move let's move on. <laughs> uh Strike Force Evolution took place on again December 19th 2009 and brought the promotion back to its home base once again at the HP Pavilion in San Jose, California. There was a change made to the commentary team for this one. Maybe Gus wasn't available, but instead of Gus Johnson, it was Mar Ronaldo and Frank Shamrock teaming up with the fight professor, Stephen Quadros, a veteran of Pride FC. Uh, it's worth noting here, this is interesting, but Quadros had essentially been replaced by Morrow as the lead commentator for Pride. Uh, Boss Rutten, a previous bonus guest on our show, went into some details about this during my interview with him, so make sure you check out that show in the archives. But essentially, he was saying that uh, the Pride brass felt it was time to make a change, and, you know, uh, Boss was a big fan of Morrow's and, and you know, wanted to bring him in, but, you know, he was also very close with uh, with Stephen Quadros, and so they brought in some Damien, some guy, who I think did one event, and I remember it was not good, and then they had Morrow in there for the next one. So kind of interesting that they were teaming up together on commentary. Uh, But Evolution, as I mentioned earlier, uh, drew almost 15,000 fans, 14,749 to be exact for a live gate of 633,674, while an estimated 341,000 fans tuned in on uh, on iTunes, (laughs) tuned in on Showtime. Uh, but yeah, there was, uh, there was, you know, this was a good crowd, a good gate, you know, I, again, I, you, you look at the UFC event that we just covered this, this event had more fans, but had, you know, that one drew um, a gate of 1.5 million. This one drew 633,000, you know, maybe it was merchandising. I mean, not as many strike force shirts and belts and stuff like that. Maybe that was it, but for whatever reason, they just never drew the gates that, that, uh, that the UFC did.
1: Now uh, I wanted to ask you about Stephen Quadros. It's obviously an upgrade from Gus Johnson in terms of understanding of MMA. This was a good move, don't you think?
0: Yes and no. Number mm-hmm. one, I do have to look. And by the way, I've had some some back and forth with Quadros before. Like I have a lot of respect for him. That okay. you know, I I would consider myself to be a fan of his. Number one, I don't know who caked on the makeup that he had on, <laughs> but he looked like a corpse. Like I I like. They had, it looked like eyeliner, and I don't know what was going on there, but there was a lot of makeup on Steve. Well, he had, he had
1: like, a mark on his face, like a cut, or, or there was some, if you watch it, they were trying to cover, a, a, like, a welt or something that he had on there, so.
0: Well, he does, he does fight, uh, fight choreography in movies and shows, and I believe he's done some stunt work, so maybe yeah. he had something from that, but they just, it was really on there, I, I. <sighs> I don't know. You know, I mean, this is the first time that I believe the three of them were commentating together. I felt like he was a little, like, half a step off. I mean, he mm. definitely knew more than Gus, for sure. So, it's was yeah. like he wasn't going to say anything that you are going to be like, what? Like, what are you – have you ever watched MMA before? But I, I felt like there were uh, some awkward moments. Um, some of the – you know, he handled the in-cage interviews that Gus usually handled. And, and you know, there was – I thought there was some um, – some some weirdness at times you know a little awkwardness at times it's more like this is the first time the three of them were together and i would probably base it off of that and that if they'd done more together and maybe they did i mean i you know i don't know every strike force event so maybe we saw him do more than this but uh you know if they had some more opportunities to work together that maybe it would have have straightened out so i yeah it's an upgrade in in knowledge but i don't know that it was an upgrade in presentation overall yeah yeah yeah. and
1: you know, uh, Quadros is a little, I mean, he's, he does come across as a weird guy. And Frank does, too. I mean, Frank is super knowledgeable, but Frank just comes across as, like, so goofy sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just like, yeah. what are you doing, you know? So, so you know, it's good they had Morrow in there. But I, w- I was glad to see Quadros in there because, you know, he does believe what he's saying. And the thing about Gus is you kind of always felt like he was being wedged into a spot. To, to be like a face of the team, but clearly he didn't live and breathe MMA like Quadros probably right. did. Um, I just want to say, quoting from Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer, you know, you talked about the amount of fans uh, who, who watched the show and Showtime and and not to foreshadow too much, but what he wrote was, if this show had been on CBS with the last two finishes, it would have been a different story with millions watching the two main events it probably would have made new fans for the sport and the promotion, as opposed to the relatively small Showtime audience. And I just think that's a good point. Had this been on CBS, uh, with that Josh Thompson Melendez yeah. fight, and and certainly the knockout and King Mo's moment. I mean, you know, it might have been a bigger deal than people remember it as.
0: Yeah. No. I well, it definitely would have been better than what happened in Nashville. So. <laughs> I, I mean, and and again, I, look, I. I recently interviewed Jake for Jake Shields for this show. He's going to be on, um, in a, in a few weeks, he talks about the Nashville brawl and that fight with Dan Henderson and all that stuff that just, I don't know why they kept putting him in main events on CBS. Like I, I don't like I did, which that was the last one. Cause as, as, uh, as Scott Coker pointed out to me on the phone recently, you know, that was, that was the last chance that he got at broadcast TV. So, um, you know, that, that's I just yeah. Can you imagine if it had been Jake, or I'm sorry, if it had been Gil and Josh in that main event instead of Jake and Dan Henderson? Like, can yeah. you imagine if it had been Kung and Scott yeah. instead? I mean, just you know, we might <laughs> Strikeforce might still be going today. You know, it might, it might, it seriously it might still be going today if they had been able to stay on broadcast TV on CBS and continue to building an audience and building new stars. I mean, the UFC couldn't compete with their audience at that point they weren't drawing millions and millions of viewers like they are now because of, because broadcast, that's the thing people, you know, when it comes to TV, it, it's, people are not giving it as much credence as they used to. Of course. I mean, we always use wrestling as kind of the, uh, the marker. And I've heard Eric Bischoff Bischoff talk about how, Oh, you know, they get excited about a, you know, a 2.0 rating or higher, you know, today it was like, man, if you were drawing 2.0 during the Monday night wars, you lost. You know, I mean, they were drawing regularly fours and fives. I mean, regularly 5 million, you know, or, or more viewers, all that stuff. Now, obviously, the landscape is tra- has changed tremendously, but it's amazing that they were doing that on cable, you know, versus if they were, you know, drawing that on broadcast today. I mean, so it's just them drawing 5 million or 4 or 5 million, three or four or 5 million on CBS 12 years ago. I mean, that was a huge deal. If they could have continued to do that and build up the audience more and introduce new stars and build up new stars, you want You want to be on even today. You want to be on network TV if you can't, because that's, that's the, where you're going to get the most viewers on TV. So yeah, I, I, that's, I mean, he's 100% Meltzer is 100% correct. Not knowing what was going to happen in Nashville when he wrote this, it makes even more sense. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah Jake. Like, uh,
1: <laughs> Jake looked the part. Like, if you just looked at him, you'd be like, "Oh, this is a guy to spotlight on our show for aesthetic reasons." But it's stunning because, I mean, why put the jujitsu guy yeah. in the main event who can't the talk? Guy
0: that the, the jujitsu yeah. guy that can't talk that has no ability to knock you out with his hands or legs. <laughs> so, again, I like I, I appreciate what Jake did as a fighter. Um, for sure. I, I appreciate what he did as, as a competitor, but Jake went in there to win, not necessarily to entertain. And, and the, the only way that he knew how to win was with his jujitsu. That was, that was his thing. So, you know, you, you gotta, yeah, I mean, he used it a lot to a lot of success, but, uh, you know, he wasn't going to set any ratings records or anything like that, you know? So, Again, I don't know whose decision it was to put him in the main event. I you, you have to think to the thought that Hen, was going to be that Henderson, who was coming off the, that brutal, brutal UFC 100 knockout of uh, of Michael Bisping. You remember that one, right? Oh Where, yeah, yeah. You know, crazy. made him made him make that meme face, and then you know, drop that forearm on his face like as he's, you know, he had just done that. Um, I mean, we're talking about UFC 107 here, so it was earlier this year as we're discussing 2009 and then the following year he's making a strike force debut in a in a match for the middleweight title on CBS. I mean you have to be thinking it, that they're trying to ride the former pride champion, you know, former title challenger in the UFC, big time name. They got to be thinking they're serving up Jake Shields who doesn't have good stand up. Against you know against Hendo, so that that's the got to be the thought. It's all right. We got we want to put the strap on Hendo. Let's get him in there against Jake. Let's get this guy out of there. Hendo will H bomb him, and that'll be it. (laughs) And and Shields was like, uh uh, that's -hmm. not how this is gonna work. And it was if you watch it, which I did in preparation for my interview with Jake. I mean, it's not like he just shot in 30 seconds in. I mean, you know, he stood with them for a bit and actually held his own. And you know, Henderson. That the thing about Henderson was especially later in his career, he had got and I know we're spending a little bit of time on this, but Henderson later in his career he he was pretty much a one-trick pony, right yeah. I mean mm-hmm. it, he was pretty much looking loading up that right hand and looking to land it and that's I mean, even though even though this guy was an Olympic level wrestler, all he was really concerned with was trying to unload that right hand because it was exciting it was easy. he's old so you know I mean in the, in power is the, the, the
1: last thing power is the
0: last thing to go right So in his fight with Jake, they were saying he came in with a bad back. So he wasn't going to be shooting in and and you know trying to, you know and, and again why would he do that against Shields? That's you're just playing right into him there. So it ended up being a really bad stylistic matchup for Hendo, and I just don't think they they thought about that. And yeah, it it hurt the promotion. Obviously, the brawl really killed it. But yeah, I, I mean it's really more the brawl versus Jake's performance. I mean I think if Jake if the brawl hadn't happened, they would have been back on CBS. You know what I'm saying? It's not like yeah. they're gonna be like they just wouldn't have put Jake back in the, in the, in the main event most likely, but God, man, can you imagine? I, I personally, I like Thompson and Melendez better than, than Kung and, and Scott mm-hmm. um, as just an overall fight. But can you imagine if, if the world got introduced to those two, like the, just the exchanges and the, just how they went after each other and all that stuff for five rounds. I mean, I, I just, it would have been a different story. It could literally could have changed the history of the sport, you know?
1: Yeah. And, and just quickly on, on, the Dan Henderson fight. Frank Shamrock said it the best that, you know, in the opening round, Hendo hit him, knocked him out, and, you know, when he hit the ground, when he hit the mat, the mat woke him up again. Because, I mean, Jake was out with that right hand. And, yeah. and then yep. all of a sudden, miraculously, he just tied up Henderson and never let him go and survived yeah. the round, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, I, it's, it, I, I was so bummed. Because oh at, at this time, I just... Force was really, like, it was about to just break through. And it's not like I hated the UFC, but I just love the fact that there was this alternative promotion Absolutely. that was based on the fighters more so than Dana White, Dana White, Dana White. And uh, that damn Nashville brawl just, I mean, it's like, okay, we're not going to take a chance on you guys in primetime ever again. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate. I'm very, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to the uh, let's get to the event itself. So on the undercard, uh, there was a fight that was canceled. I mentioned earlier, Bobby Stack versus David Douglas was canceled after the weigh-ins when Douglas, who took the fight on a week's notice, reportedly had difficulty with his weight cut and was hospitalized after having issues holding fluids down. So that put us down to four fights on the undercard. In the first opener, uh, or sorry, in the opener, 145-pound fight, Alexander Crispin defeated A.J. Fonseca via unanimous decision. Then in the next battle lightweight bout Justin Wilcox defeated Daisuke Nakamura via unanimous decision. This was Wilcox's third Strike Force fight having gone 1 and 1 coming in. That 7 and 3 the Silverback had a chance to make a statement here. Nakamura 2011 was a pride veteran He had some big fights overseas. After this bout, Wilcox would be back in Strikeforce many more times while Nakamura was one and done inside the hexagon. It's also worth noting that Nakamura, at 40, is still active, having last fought in February of this year, 2021, and currently holds a 13-19, or 30, excuse me, 13-30, 19-and-1 record. And then in the kind of the main event of the undercard 205-pound uh, fight, Antoine Britt defeated Scott Lighty via TKO coming by way of doctor stoppage. At the end of the first round, Britt was a veteran of the Ultimate Fighter Season 8 and held a 10-3 record coming in. Uh, definitely not someone to take lightly. The, the juggernaut was, was just that, a juggernaut. And then speaking of lightly, <laughs> little pun there, Scott Lighty, who we've discussed previously, was a former K-1 fighter who held an undefeated 5-0 record. He'd beaten Mike Cook via TKO at Corano versus Cyborg and seemed to be on the cusp of a main card shot. Uh, According to MMA Weekly, because this fight does not appear in video form, uh, Britt traded strikes with Lighty, getting the upper hand and putting a beating on the former K-1 fighter. And that was enough for the doctor, apparently, who stopped the bout at the close of the first round. Britt would be back in Strikeforce several more times. In fact, he would finish his career with the promotion. Lighty would also return competing on a future Strikeforce Challengers card. All right, this brings us to the main card. Strikeforce showed off some of its stars as well as some of its new signings on camera out at the outset of the broadcast. They spotlighted Jake Shields, Robbie Lawler, Chris Cyborg, who had her belt with her at ringside, which <laughs> that kind of made me chuckle because, in, again, in wrestling, um, I, I think there's an old story about uh, the Giant when, when, when Paul White won the belt. Uh, that he, they like the boys ribbed him and told him to wear the belt, like in the airport. I, I've wanted, <laughs> I'm i almost positive. That was him. Yeah. And then like sting saw him with the belt. It was like, <laughs> Hey, you Mark, like put that away. Uh, <laughs> you're going to get so, robbed, dude. <laughs> well, it's not that you're going to get robbed. It's just like, it's a prop, you know, like dude. it's just, it's, you know, it's not like you actually won that it's different with, you know, Cyborg actually having won the belt, but it just kind of, that was the first thing that popped in my mind was like, I just don't see most fighters actually wearing their belt at ringside, you know, during during an event. But Are you kidding? You know, I,
1: if I ever had a, a bad bunny moment and I got a chance to be in a WWE, I yeah. would wear that title everywhere. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'd sleep I, with it. You could also say that that, you know, she's going to take pictures with fans. She's known for being very affable and and nice not stuff that you know, maybe she wanted to have the belt with her so when people, you know, want to take pictures with her, they could hold the belt or have the belt. I mean, that, that I, if I ran into her and she had the belt, I'd be even more likely to be like, can I hold the belt and take a picture with you? Yeah, you know, that sort of exactly. thing. So, I would uh, throw but, it in the trash
1: can, but okay. No <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, Medusa. All <laughs> right. So uh, so Chris Cyborg, KJ Nunes, uh, not really super well-known today, but he was a really, really hot, lightweight uh, star. I mean, he, he had a, uh, one of the craziest battles with Nick Diaz in Hawaii, and he, he had b- become a bigger name in Elite XC. Herschel Walker, who had recently signed current WWE champion Bobby Lashley. And as I record this, so the way we had recorded this, I, I thought we would record this before WrestleMania, so he was going to be the current WWE champion. But as we record this, it's Sunday, which is night two of WrestleMania, and last night Bobby successfully defended the title against Drew McIntyre. So I can still say that. Current WWE champion Bobby Lashley. And then we mentioned him earlier, but Dan Henderson had made the move and he was going to be appearing inside the hexagon. And so they showed him on camera as well. So that was that was pretty cool. Lots of lots of new stars. And so all right. Well, let's jump into it. So the first fight on the main card, a heavyweight bout, King Mo defeated Mike. He- so I guess we should say at money weight. King Mo defeated Mike Whitehead <laughs> via KO. Come by way of punches at 308 of the first round. Whitehead, as I mentioned earlier, was coming off uh, what actually was a lackluster decision win over Kevin the Monster Randallman. He was 24 and six, had only lost once in his past 16 fights. Very tough and durable fighter. Whitehead was a member of Vanderly Silva's fight team, uh, Team Wand, and was clearly being served up to King Mo here. Uh, so he was looking, just as with Randleman, he was looking to play spoiler. King Mo was only 5-0 and at this point. He had really built up a name for himself over in Japan in Sengoku in that promotion, where he'd, he'd made his mark with his entertaining ring entrances and fight action. Uh, he was a former NCAA Division II wrestling champion, was actually a former college teammate of Daniel Cormier's. Uh, he was coming off a big first-round knockout, of former UFC tournament champion marked the Smashing Machine Kerr uh, in, in August, so just a few months prior, and then he'd also beaten UFC vet Travis View via K- KO in his career, so definitely a big deal Mo was being courted by several promotions before signing with strike force including the ufc so what drew him to scott Coker's promotion was the ability to still be able to compete in japan that was really high on his list because he was making good good money over there and so why not it was other freedoms that Mo could would enjoy with strike force and and but you know not with the ufc and i think that would be Uh, You know, Mo has agreed to be on the show at some point. I'm not sure when that's going to happen, but um, I would like to have him on. But I definitely want to ask him why he never went to the UC. But that's probably the answer is that he was able to have these open ended contracts where he could fight for other promotions. I also wanted to mention that Mo gave an interview to MMA Weekly around this time and he said something that I think it's worth repeating regarding fighting Whitehead Whitehead Mo said quote I'm not worried about his wrestling because I'm a better wrestler he says he's wrestled some of the best wrestlers in the world I'd like to hear a name because I've actually wrestled between I've I have actually wrestled some of the best wrestlers in the world they're like Russian and you can't pronounce their names <laughs> So which is, that's hilarious to me. I mean, and, and you consider, like, you know, guys like Khabib and, you know, some of the other great wrestlers out there that are Russian. It, it just kind of, just made me chuckle a little bit. Uh, you know, also, just, yeah, go just, ahead.
1: You know, you, you had mentioned about uh, King Mo and UFC. I, I don't recall if you remember any of this, but, you know, he, he had a chance to go to the UFC later, but Dana White decided no. Uh, you remember he had that, that he tested positive for a, performance enhancement drug and you know he said that it was supplement and you know he did this whole thing in front of the uh, athletic commission and he got into an argument with the 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 the, the judge do you remember that the judge no no, judge judge asked he got offended because she asked him if English was his first language and he's like are you kidding me like what are you talking about like I think he's a college graduate and you know he's very intelligent person and he um Freaked out, you know, kind of yelled at her, called her some names, and Dana White like cut him off from that. You know, we, we'll, we'll, we're we going to be talking a lot of, more about King Mo. We can talk about it probably in future episodes, but um, he kind of pissed off King Mo or pissed off Dana White uh, during this period. And I think they sort of felt like he wasn't marketable um, for a variety of reasons. Honestly, the USC's lost that King Mo was never there because King Mo, uh, he was you know he he sold tickets he he was definitely you know entertaining but yeah we can go into that in future shows for sure well i
0: you know i just was looking it up what you were talking about i was not aware of any of this but after uh after beating Lorenz larkin at strike force rockhold versus jardine he tested positive for anabolic steroids and then uh it was changed to a no contest he had his license suspended for a year and then after a meeting with the, the, uh, the Nevada state athletic commission on March 27, 2012, his suspension was reduced to nine months, nine months. The was released from strike force following comments he made on Twitter regarding Pat Lundvall after his hearing for his drug test. Pat Lundvall was one of the state athletic, uh, commission. She was actually a former commissioner of the state, Nevada state athletic commission, but eventually, but essentially Lowell said, quote, she asked if I did research for my training, I didn't get what she meant by the question and she rolled her eyes and asked, do you speak English? Can you read? I felt I felt I was disrespected by the woman's comments. How are you going to ask a college educated, well traveled man if he can speak or read English? I'm speaking English, English right in front of you. I've been speaking English right in front of you the past for the past 15 minutes End quote after the release lawal issued an apology to lundval stating i was out of line for calling the woman the b word and i was wrong for that i was kind of mad about the comments i was offended by the comments made towards me and i was out of line i was too emotional i apologize for that that being said i still feel that i was offended (laughs) but i'm in the wrong for what i said so yeah i was not aware of of any of that uh and then uh not long after that so that was march of 2012 and then in may so just a couple months later less than two months later he signed a fight with Bellator. So, yeah, I, I assume, you know, that makes sense. And that essentially uh, – and then he also joined uh, TNA at the same time. This was right. when King Moe had his, his, you know, kind of got, got into TNA, which I don't even know if he really – yeah, he was with them for a few years. So, yeah, i kind of reading through.
1: I'd love to do a show, you know, on King Moe because he's, he's one of these guys who's, like, always been on the cusp of greatness and then just nature like just natural events just push him back you know he signed with tna give me a break like that guy should be in the wwe you know like what what is he doing but obviously it's because he's working with ballator and now I'm by the same company or whatever but yeah i mean king mo is such a such a showcase of greatness that like almost was you know, yeah. on so many levels at least yeah. it relates to mma success. yeah
0: yeah, uh, so yeah, I, I, like I said, I when I texted him before we started this show, he agreed to come on. Uh, I haven't gotten back in touch because we haven't really gotten to the point. I want to talk to him when he wins the title, which is not too long. So I'll probably be reaching out before to him before too long, and, and hopefully he'll come on the show, and, and we can ask him about all this. I definitely want to talk to him about you know what happened there in TNA, and yeah, it'd be great to have him on. So we'll, we'll, we'll definitely look to do that. Uh, but getting back to this fight, he came in at only 218 pounds. I mean, obviously a glorified light heavyweight. I mean, if he had really, really wanted to, he probably could have even made middleweight. But you know, he, he fought his career at light heavyweight, except when he would jump up to heavyweight from time to time, and that's why again he called it called it money weight. He wanted to fight where the money was. But Whitehead ended up having an advantage, a weight advantage of over 40 pounds in this fight. Not that it did him any good. Uh, from the the way the commentators were talking, Mo was definitely being built up as the rising star here. But really, not a lot to this this fight. Both both felt things out to begin the bout, and the crowd got a little restless about halfway through the round. Then suddenly, Mo unleashed a one-two combo, kind of a a, a left hook, straight left hook kind of thing, and then followed up with a straight right, which dropped Whitehead. Mo followed things to the mat and dropped some ground and pound, and that shut the lights out. But but great performance by Mo to kick off his Strikeforce career.
1: Yeah, I love King Mo. I've interviewed him a few times over the years, and I remember the conversations. He's such a nice Is guy. Is that your way of
0: saying that if and when he does come on the show, that you want to be the one to interview him? Are we gonna to have to battle? <laughs> no, 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 no. You know,
1: you you are the star of the show, I, I, dude. I'll, I am, I'll, I'll feast on your scraps, whatever you don't want. I am but.
0: totally fine with you interviewing Mo. I, okay. Like if you've if you've talked to him before. I got no issue with that at all. I think it'd be great to, to, especially since you knew, you clearly know more about him than I do. So anyways, go ahead. But yeah. Well, that I just, be he's great.
1: a nice guy. I mean, I mean, compare that. I know we'll let you talk to Robbie Lawler. Let's just okay. put it that way. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. Uh, he's just a nice guy who was, at least when I talked to him, very appreciative of every media opportunity. And, uh, you know, this was a good showcase for him. He's exactly the kind of fighter that if I were a fighter, I would love to be if I had that kind of skill like he's just so loose he's natural he's comfortable and he's confident and in this fight he was you know he was he was shining uh he, he definitely was a star on the rise um i i know i have this grudge against fat mma fighters <laughs> you know we talked about Montello, but i mean i just it just really bothers me that that you know the average guy should not look better without a shirt than the guy inside the hexagon. It just does not make sense. You should not have creases in the side of your body when you're a professional fighter. You need to do more to like appreciate the fact that you're in that situation and you're going against like a top level athlete. Like King Mo is not a chump. He's a wrestler. You know, his best thing is going to be conditioning. And so I was not impressed. I was glad he got, he lost because. He didn't deserve to, to, he didn't train. I mean, he's 261 pounds. Come on. Like, you know, and you're fighting a guy who's smaller than you. You're going to have to get into shape in case things go a couple of extra rounds. So, um, I'm King Mo just kind of outclassed him. And uh, I just, you know, King Mo's one of those wrestlers who also hits really hard. Yeah. So, that's really interesting. Um, I was struck at how few kicks King Mo threw, if yeah. any. In this fight, uh, probably definitely a weakness in his game.
0: Well, he also probably realizing that, that Whitehead is a wrestler and that might give him a chance to get taken down. Mm-hmm. So you know, you, you're you're not yeah. going to get taken down throwing punches. Usually, it's usually throwing kicks. So that might That's be true. why. Right. But Mo was a hard hitter. You know, no no doubt about it, and he showed it in this fight for sure. Yeah. Um, after the fight, King Mo, who had Mayhem Miller in his corner, not exactly the uh, <laughs> sage of wise decisions. Uh, So Mo, I guess following uh, Mayhem's, you know, kind of lead, shook and opened up some energy drinks inside the cage, which drew a rebuke from an athletic commission member there. Uh, More on that later, but, you know, kind of see the craziness already coming from King Mo.
1: What I liked about it was it was very Stone Cold Steve Austin-ish. So anything that's sort of an allusion to that crowd or honor, you know, respect for that industry, I think is cool. Um, and I think MMA needs needed some of those personalities. Look guy like Conor McGregor comes on, you know, a decade later. And they're a little bit less than that. But he's a big star because he's a great talker. And I think of like John Joe. John Jones will go down as one of the greatest fighters of all time. Greatest mixed martial artist, if not the best, depending on what he's going to do going forward. But he's not really known in the mainstream. He's known as an MMA no. guy. And, and the reason for that is he's... He just doesn't have a whole lot of charisma. I mean, he's more of a—he likes to poke fun and make people feel bad. Like he's kind of a jerk. Like you know, he 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 makes fun of Daniel Cormier and things. Imagine if John Jones had King Mo's charisma. I mean, he'd be a mainstream star. Um, so I, I like the fact that King Mo took that risk and and he got noticed. Um, probably he got fined or something, and he did was not was he not did. good for him, but. You know, I like a little bit of that bravado.
0: Yeah, well, he definitely had it in spades. No, no, no <laughs> doubt about that. Um, but despite his post-fight antics, this win would set up big things for King Moe. He would get a shot at Gegard Strike Strikeforce light heavyweight title the following April. This would be it for Whitehead and Strike Force. He would only compete in MMA, MMA a handful more times. He'd win three straight, bringing him into 2011. But Whitehead had other things to worry about at that point. In April of 2010, he was arrested after a female acquaintance accused him of sexual assault. Police also found 50 pot plants in his house, which garnered Whitehead even more trouble. In, two, in September of 2011, he pleaded no contest to the, the sexual assault, assault charge. And in January 2012, he received a sentence of one to four years. After being paroled, Whitehead fought one more time in 2015, garnering a loss and ending his career at 27 and 8. Not a good, you know... Obviously not a way that you want to end your career, for sure. All right, middleweight fight. Ray Souza defeated Matt De Linla via submission, coming by way of arm triangle choke at 418 of the first round. Jacare at 10-2-1 had gone 3-1-1 one one in Dream, was coming off a KO loss to Gegard Musashi in September. The 2005 Abu Dhabi submission champ was, of course, known for his amazing grappling skills. Uh, he had wins over Alexander Slomenko and Mayhem Miller in MMA and seemed to be a star on the rise. Meanwhile, Linlin, at 21 and six, was an Olympic silver medalist in Greco-Roman wrestling, earning that achievement in the at the 2000 Sydney Olympics. He had a contentious relationship with Dana White and had been released by the UFC in 2005. I think it was due to like. Um, like an unauthorized sponsor or something like that, but Lindland was just one of those guys that Dana just did not like, and that was just that's just the long and short of it. Uh, Lindland had gone four and three since last appearing in the octagon, losing to Vitor Belfort via brutal KO and affliction in January. The law, however, had some big wins in his career. He had two wins over Phil Baroni, had beaten Falonico Vitali, Jeremy Horn, and former UFC welterweight champions Pat Militich and Carlos Newton. So a very very skilled fighter. Unfortunately, I. The thing I remember him the most for was—I uh, want to say it was in Japan. He had a fight with uh, with Rampage Jackson, who on the mic afterwards said that he was the stinkiest, like smelliest fighter he had ever fought, and that's always <laughs> stuck in my mind, like how embarrassing, you know, that would be. But I um <clears throat> yeah,
1: I there was a fighter. I don't know if I read this or if it was somebody I interviewed who talked about one of the strategies was like not bathing or showering so that when you were actually in the cage it would repel your opponent if you got like really close to each other i don't know if that's the case with linlin or not but i recall that being like a thing for some fighters so maybe linlin thought it would it would help him but it doesn't matter how much you stink if you you can't defend against jujitsu yeah
0: (laughs) And I did look it up. It was actually the world fighting Alliance in 2006. That was an upstart promotion that actually boss Rutan had his last fight in. Uh, and it was uh Linlin. It was King of the streets and it was Linlin versus rampage. And afterwards he said, quote, he is a good fighter. I trained hard. He's an Olympic silver medalist. So much respect to him. I knew I had to bring it end quote, but this quote that I'm bringing does not bring up the, the stinky, <laughs> the, the, yeah. the stinky part. So, um, yeah, I I that would be really embarrassing to me. I would really hate to hear, you know, um yeah. And then, oh, I, I just googled Matt, Lin, Matt Linlin stinks and, and there's a the first thing is uh Luke here you go. Luke Rockhold dreads strike force fight against Matt Linlin because quote, he stinks. And well, I I could imagine so,
1: Luke I could imagine Luke Rockhold's the kind of guy who wants to fight a guy who smells good. So Yeah. <laughs>
0: just oh man uh oh man somebody posted said that Matt Lynn Matt Lynn would not shower shave or brush his teeth a week before a, a fight it has been said that he can be smelt from across the cage before a fight you know it probably that's was well it probably
1: was the, I probably I probably interviewed Lynland that probably came up I remember that now yeah
0: yeah that's that's gross so that's a rumor I don't know if that's true but maybe that's... it's a
1: wrestler thing we should we should dive deep into that we should ask King oh, Mo.
0: here's what Did he said. Have, yeah. You know, no. Here's what he said. Uh, Rampage said, "Man, that was like fighting a big, smelly skunk." <laughs> dang, man, that's gross, dude. Come on, Linlin. You, I mean, I if it worked, it worked. I guess, but that's just gross. I don't want to. Okay, I'm reading a, a an article. Uh, Matt Linlin went. Uh, yeah, this. So this the name of this article. It's on lowkickmma.com. Top 10 strangest pre-fight rituals. And for this one, it says that Matt Linlin went to extreme lengths to try and gain an advantage over his opponents during both his wrestling and mixed, mixed martial arts careers. The law would avoid showering in the week leading up to his fights in an attempt to repulse his opponents and make their <laughs> lives misery whenever they got near him in the cage. Given that Linlin was an expert grappler who once won an Olympic silver medalist medal, that meant a lot of fighters ended up being forced to get up close and personal with him over the years, whether they wanted to or not. Uh, most competitors just grinned and, and and dealt with it, silently suffering through the stench. But after earning a split decision victory over Lin-Lin, Quentin Rampage Jackson couldn't resist uh, calling him out, saying, man, that was like fighting a big, smelly skunk. Uh, Matt, you need to take a shower, man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, this uh, is another reason Dana
1: White hated it. I, I said, <laughs> probably.
0: Seriously. It's like, God. And on top of all that, you stink. So, yeah. All right. We, let's anyways, get let's
1: get Lindlin on the show. I, yeah, I,
0: I guess we could try. I mean, he only fought a couple times for Strikeforce. So I didn't really, and he didn't win, so I didn't really have him earmarked. But and I don't really want to talk to him about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah. Anyways, uh, but this was something of a rematch. Actually, Jacques Jacare uh, submitted Lindlin in Lindlin's only grappling bout, like his only jujitsu bout, back in two thousand three. He did it once and was like, "Yeah, this isn't my thing. I'm out. We're done." So. Uh, but, man, uh, Linlin just so awkward in the cage as we get into the fight itself. I mean, so unorthodox. He was southpaw, and he's just kind of rangy, and just he moved kind of weird. And in this fight, neither of these guys were great strikers for sure. But eventually Linlin evaded a Jacare punch and took the Brazilian down, which turned out to be a bad move. Uh, you guys a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and, and you're taking him down. But, okay, uh, turned out to be just not the smartest move for the American and he got caught in an arm bar. Linlin escapes, so Jacare transitioned to an omoplata, uh, and then the two continued to uh, to trade submission attempts while Jacare ended up in top position. Linlin tried to defend, but, but Jacare just used his positioning to get to half guard and set up a, an arm triangle, getting the tap with under a minute left in the first round.
1: I thought there was about two minutes of, of really good groundwork. <laughs> yeah. They were back and forth. This was like wrestling versus jiu-jitsu. Uh, it was something special. I, I really enjoyed it because it looked like Jacare was going to tap him out and then Lindland escaped and then it looked like well, maybe he didn't escape but it, it just kept going and I, I thought it was really high level stuff really entertaining to watch and really showed how skilled Jacare was. He, he didn't give up. He had him in a position and uh, he was relentless and his jiu-jitsu was so deep that you know if he couldn't get him with one submission attempt he got him with another and then you know he eventually was able to get him with the arm choke but i mean that was that was cool i mean i I, say what you will about Linlin. i mean that was some skilled stuff there and obviously jacaray has had his great moments on the ground as well
0: yeah good fight both fighters will be back in strike for several more times so we'll discuss them more in the future all right, we are to the co-main event, 155-pound fight. Gilbert Melendez defeated Josh Thompson via unanimous decision to become the undisputed strike force lightweight champion. Why wasn't this the main event, Phil? Yeah, I, you know, this is where this is an area where I would disagree with Scott Coker, where he would. I, I think the title always goes on last. You know, yeah. I, I just think the title always goes on last. Or first. Or, Sorry. Yeah, yeah, if you're the first night of WrestleMania, but. <laughs> But it ended with a title, you know, it ended up with a title match. So it just, just happened to – but, yeah, I get what you're saying. But, yeah, MMA for sure, the the the, the belt should always go last. And so I d- – and imagine – to me, it just makes more sense. And you imagine a co-main of Kung and Scott Smith, and then you put on Josh and, and, and Gilbert. I mean, I just think it would have made this card even better. So, yeah, I, I it's a very, very valid question. So – uh, but, of course, this was one of the biggest strike fights that Strikeforce could make. Thompson Melendez, one, had been an absolute slobber knocker of a fight. So expectations were high for this bout to deliver as well. Uh, in his previous bout, Melendez at 16-2 had avenged the only other fighter to beat him besides Josh Thompson, it, Josh Thompson in Mitsuhiro Ishida, downing him via TKO at Crono vs. Cyborg in August. Thompson, also 16-2, had been out of the cage for 15 months dealing with injuries. Still the champion, won eight straight fights, dating back to the first-ever strike force event, Shake, Shamrock vs. Gracie, which uh, Josh lost the, the, his, uh, the, the, the fight, was for the inaugural Force lightweight championship against Clay Guida. If I can say that correctly. Uh, and that was the last loss loss that Josh had had suffered. And now he, here, we he was, uh, over three years later, th- over three and a half years later, and he still hadn't tasted defeat once again. So let's get to the action itself as the two fighters touch gloves and we're heading back to their corners before the fight started. Josh said, let's steal the show, which I, I really liked that. I thought that was, I thought that was cool. Very entertaining first round. Both fighters scored points on their feet. Gilbert seemed a little more patient than he did in their first encounter, and it seemed to be paying off as he was more accurate with his strikes. Very entertaining first round that I'd score in favor of Gilbert.
1: Yeah, it was clear both guys had a lot of respect for each other. Uh, it was a very entertaining. It was close round. Uh, Thompson landed some, some good shots. Um, Melendez landed some good shots. It, it was a very competitive round. Uh, Melendez, though, was just so perfect in his execution uh, he was just really tight in everything he did very cautious and, and that's when melendez was his best when he stuck to his game plan and uh very very good round uh, that these guys clearly were aware that the other could do damage to each other
0: absolutely uh early on in the second gilbert caught josh with a counter right hand dropping him thompson seemed to recover quickly and the, the champ then had to recover uh to an errant knee to the cup that was not fun Thompson's takedown D as per usual was very strong, keeping the, f- the fight on the feet later in the round, the two engaged in a firefight swinging with abandon, with Melendez clipping and hurting the champ, such an entertaining round with the challenger definitely taking that round as well. So in my, on my, my card, he was up two and Oh, I, I know that that Frank and uh, Morrow and Quadro seemed to have Gilbert uh, w- losing the first round to, to Josh, but I felt like, I felt like Gilbert had both rounds at this point.
1: Yeah, the first round was close for sure. But uh, the second round, uh, Melendez did have him hurt. And, you know, give it up to Thompson for his wrestling to be able to tie Melendez up and survive, even though he got hit, you know, on the jaw. Uh, Lots of heart on display. And we've talked about this. Josh Thompson will not go down as, you know, the top 10, you know, greatest lightweights of all time. But um, he really should in terms of his just incredible ability to just be a, a... a guy who gave it all and he had heart and determination and he was always sort of, he never took a moment off, you know? And, and we saw that in in this fight for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, both fighters still looked fresh entering the third round, though things began to slow down a little bit, kind of a reset round of sorts. Melendez began using his kicks even more, which he wasn't really known for. And I believe he talked about that uh, in a, a post fight interview couple days after this saying that when he lost the first fight guys were coming up to him at the gym being like hey do you know how to kick you know stuff like that so uh, apparently took that to heart start started training that more began using his kicks uh, but they they were definitely working and tougher to score this round but I, I'd probably give it to, to Gilbert once again
1: did you notice that Thompson like pulled his knee wrap up like when they were kind of close to each other I realized that you got to do that <laughs> pulled it
0: but- up or pulled it down
1: um, I thought he pulled it uh, up, um, I, you know, he grabbed it with the glove, he did have no, long I shorts. I don't,
0: I don't remember that, no, I don't remember
1: and that. He, ad- he definitely adjusted it, but he was really close to Gilbert when he did it. It wasn't as though he was far away, and you saw Gilbert was about to go in, and he actually like, held up to show Josh that respect, but I think it's really dumb, I don't think you should be doing that. Um no. You know, obviously, they were friends, so they had an understanding, but he literally just put both gloves on the wrap and adjusted it and then went back into the fight. And uh, I don't know. I mean, that would have been a bad thing if Gilbert yeah. had just plucked him right there, yeah. but he did it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, I didn't notice that. Interesting. All right. Well, Josh finally got a takedown in the fourth round. Melendez, however, was able to get back up pretty quickly. El Nino was definitely winning the battle on the feet, and with Thompson continuing to play that game, it seemed to be playing right into the, t- the challenger's game plan. Uh, it was Josh Thompson's corner had told him after the third round, you are behind, like you need to you need to get going. More strong striking exchanges with neither fighter particularly standing out as the winner. I- I'd probably give this round to the champ. I felt like Josh came back and did well in this uh, as he got the, the takedown and scored some on the feet. But honestly, either one of them could have won it. It, w- it was still really close. Melendez just really fought with more of a, a strong sense of urgency. Um, throughout the fight, I mean, I I, 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 thought that he just Melendez seemed to be more in tune. What did you think, Josh?
1: Yeah, I, I just Melendez is aggressive, okay, and he's smart, and he, you know, it, the areas that he lacks from a size perspective or a technical perspective. Uh, He makes up with just sort of being an intelligent fighter. And so we saw this. You know, he's not a Nick Diaz. He's not a Nate Diaz. He doesn't do that kind of crap. Um, He has to stick to his game plan. And, you know, we had the the cup shot earlier that you mentioned. And then we got an inadvertent eye poke in this round. Uh, He was... He was kind of getting
0: kind of getting beat up, like without, you know, like getting beat up, but getting beat up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean,
1: I don't think uh, Gilbert did that on purpose. No, no, no. But it's
0: it's like Gilbert's like beating him with his fist and he's like, all right, I'm also going to kick you in the balls (laughs) and I'm going (laughs) to flick you in the eye. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I yeah, I, obviously I don't think either one of them were um, you know were on purpose, but but it just wasn't Thompson's night <laughs> for sure in any way, shape, or form. Uh, Thompson, despite and Josh, you've talked about this before about Josh just always being it's very clear how much he loved being in the cage that he loved being in there, and he was smiling even though he knew he was behind. He was smiling going into that fifth and final round, and Melendez looked extremely locked in and still very serious. And the, all the commentators agreed the champ needed a KO or a submission to win the fight. And he seemed to sense that as Josh was super aggressive early on, willing to take it, uh, willing to exchange in the wild firefight, firefights that, uh, you know, we'd seen throughout the bout and finally started to see Thompson get a little tired with Melendez, putting him on his back with a right hand that was precipitated by some pretty weary punches from the champ. And Melendez got in some riding time, pouring on the strikes while he was, uh, you know, had kind of a riding position from amateur wrestling. Thompson to his credit was able to, Stand back up and started swinging once again. I mean, God, what a fight this was. Thompson got a trip, trip takedown with just over a minute left and looked to have Melendez in trouble, but El Nino was able to persevere and stand back up, and the two were still swinging away at, at one another as this fight ended. What an incredible – I loved this fight. I thought it was so great.
1: Yeah, and it was made by that fifth round. That fifth round was just such a great round that both fighters – They left it all inside the hexagon. They did not hold anything back. And as a fight fan, that's exactly what you want to see. It's like the Super Bowl coming down to a last second field goal, right? It's like we're all there up until the very end. Uh, and, And what about Melendez with that takedown toward the end of the round? I mean, he just, you know, you called it a trip takedown. You know, I guess it was technically, but I mean, he just kind of, I mean, it's the fifth round. He's tired everything he had he took him down and he you know he had a moment there where he could have maybe tried to do something but it was too late just a a great fight great great showing by both both guys and uh i mean that kind of exemplified what it means to be an mma fighter who's right there that's everything we love about mma on display
0: absolutely uh, just uh, you know, and then after the bout, uh, even before they announced the winners, so much respect between the two of them. Their their camps. Ch- Josh Thompson embraced Gilbert Melendez Senior. Just so much class. Thompson agree- in agreeing with the decision, applauding the new champ, and. Just a great, great night for both fighters. Speculation immediately began that a rubber match would would happen between these two right away. That that would be next. However, Melendez made it clear he wanted other fights before fighting Thompson again. And I remember in the article I read, he's just like, I gave everything I had. Like I had nothing left, and and I like I don't want to do that again. Like he, it was it seemed to be acknowledging that it had to happen, but he just didn't want it right away. And uh, but that that's actually the way that it would be. Both these guys would be back. Uh, the following year, El Nino will be back in the following April, while Thompson will be back the following June. They would not be against each other, uh, so they would have other fights. So we are finally arrived at the main event, 185-pound fight. Scott Smith defeated Kung Lee via KO. Punt coming away with punches at 325 of the third round. Scott Smith at 16-6 and six was one of the most exciting fighters in MMA. He was finally getting a chance to headline a Strikeforce card. He had opened his strike force career with knockout wins over Terry Martin and Benji Raddick, but had fallen via submission after getting beaten up by Nick Diaz in his most recent bout. Kung Lee at 6-0 was, of course, returning from a 20-month hiatus from the cage. At 37 years old and with many, many miles on his body already, Lee had to be concerned his time in MMA wouldn't likely last much longer, although ironically it would. He would actually be be able to fight for another five years. Uh, Still one of the most exciting fighters in the game. This bout had fireworks written all over it.
1: Yeah, and just sort of like putting in context from the Wrestling Observer at this time, um, you know, what Dave Meltzer wrote was, it's a shame Lee didn't venture into MMA 10 years earlier. But the truth is, in 1996, there was no money in it. And he did as well just headlining Scott Coker's kickboxing shows at San Jose uh, State College (coughs) uh, because at that time, he was going to make about the same amount of money. Um, So it's just sort of interesting that... There's acknowledgement here that Kung Lee was great, but he was a little bit older. You know, a 6-0 record you'd think would be a guy in his 20s or something. And, uh, you know, Kung Lee was like 35, 36 at at that time. Uh, Meltzer also writes that Lee is one of the smallest middleweights in the game, smaller than most of your top food chain Walter Waite. so we're sort of trying to starting to see a little bit of the sheen kind of fall off you know what kung lee is all about and obviously in this in this fight we will i just wanted to point out phil that in the pre-fight interview i don't know if you remember this but it appeared as though kung lee was really taking scott smith for granted uh he didn't i don't think he thought scott smith could beat him uh he, and he downplayed the long layoff the reporter that was asking him questions said you know, that there's sort of this history, fighters take a break and then they come back and there's some ring rust and Kung Lee's like, well, I've always done movie roles and I'm undefeated. So it really should not be a big deal at all. He also noted that his mother chose to be in the crowd for this fight and she usually didn't want to be live because she would get really worked up seeing, you know, Kung Lee and the possibility of him losing. But she, uh, she showed up at his request and Kung Lee picked a bad night. Uh, Kung Lee's mom picked a bad night to watch him fight. Yeah,
0: wrong wrong call. (laughs) Wrong call, mom. Well, once the bell rang, Smith came right at Lee from the beginning of the first round, which was a change from what Kung's opponents had done up to this point. However, that didn't last long as Lee landed a spinning back kick, dropping Smith with a blocked kick to the chest. and Man, that was loud. Lee was dropping some hammer fists from side position with Smith just kind of covering up and offering no defense. And honestly, Big John McCarthy could have stopped it right there because of the lack of intelligent defense on Smith's part. However, Smith seemed to hear McCarthy's, like, instruction, like, you better do something. uh, And he finally got back up. However, that was short-lived as Smith went down again, though this time he was just slipping when the kick connected. But hands of steel, he just seemed lost in there and and getting (laughs) high-kicked right in the face at one point. I mean, the first round was all... Kung lee
1: yeah i mean there have been fights that have been stopped with a lot less yes. offense yes. a lot fewer punches than that it, you know it looked like it was all over and it was going to be another highlight thing for for Kung lee but i guess hey let's appreciate uh john mccarthy here right that's yeah. why you have yeah, for letting referee, it go yeah letting it go yeah
0: yeah but scott scott was definitely looking looking outclassed i mean this is not this is not looking good uh, not much head moment uh, movement from Smith, which was always a problem in his career. Uh, in the second round, he got dropped again, though this time he had a much better defense from his back, and he had wrist control with which kept Kung from doing much damage. Eventually, Big John stood the fighters up. Uh, Smith took advantage once again, coming forward, but uh, but actually Kung was was uh, was being backed up this time. However, it didn't stay like that, and Smith just kind of he was just kind of hanging out in range for Smith and. Uh, I mean, Smith, I'm or, or, sorry for Lee, excuse me. And, and Lee was just landing pretty much whenever he wanted, but he also had his mouth open. He was breathing pretty hard. He was clearly winded and the layoff as much as he may have tried to downplay it. I mean, it, you know, a guy it's 37 years old, he hasn't been in the cage in almost 20, you in, know, in, in almost 24 months, almost two years. Uh, you know, it, it just, it was not, I, it cost him more than he realized it. I, I think if he had been fighting, he would have had better cardio, of course. He would have been able to to maybe miss the the punch that that landed and ended his night. I mean, it just it wait. I think it played more of a it played played out a lot more than he thought it would. And but despite that, still clearly it was Kung's round once again, uh, putting him up two zero in the fight.
1: Yeah, you can't tell how conditioned somebody is by looking at them, particularly when it comes to, uh, you know, combat sports. Uh, Kung, Kung looks in great shape, but you know, he's never been a guy who could last long and we hadn't really had a lot of opportunities to see that. And so you could sort of see him breathing hard. And, and if you're watching closely, you're thinking, well, maybe Scott Smith's going to have a window here if, if he can survive these wicked kicks. But up until this point, he really was just Kung Lee's uh, punching bag.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Smith had blocked another spinning back kick to the head, but it seemed to ring his bell anyways. And Kung just seemed content to pick Smith apart with his kicks and look for that one knockout blow. I did notice this that uh, – Josh, I don't know if you, you noticed, but Frank Shamrock seemed to be taking some subtle shots at Kung during his commentary and saying that he was only good up to three rounds and that his kicks actually didn't hurt. They're just so fast you can't see them coming. I, I don't think necessarily Frank was trying to set up a, a, a rematch between the two. Maybe he was because he wasn't officially retired at that point. But, uh, yeah, he just – I don't know. I, I feel like Frank was taking some, like I said, some subtle shots. I did. Did you notice that?
1: Yeah. I think we can agree, Phil, that Frank is full of it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. those, those kicks hurt. I mean, those I mean, kicks on. knock people out, those kicks break arms. So um, I, I think it might've been just the fact that Frank was uh, trying to get himself over trying yes. to yes. heal his own yes. sort of image after after he lost to him and saying, you know, I probably would have won, but my arm was broken. I would have you know, that sort of thing. Which,
0: and I, then my, my question had been, and Frank, how did you, how did that arm get broken? Do you, do you <laughs> up in remember how that happened? But anyways,
1: <laughs> those kicks that don't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Those <laughs> kicks that
0: don't hurt. Exactly. So yeah. But I just I, I did get that sense it. too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I perfect way of putting it. The Frank was trying to get over, you know, and that I just, yeah, wasn't really uh I didn't have a, an opinion on it at the time, but it's, it's kind of, it's a little irritating now that I think about it, but Regardless, Lee was in total control and started throwing some high kicks, including a spinning backfist, and this is in the third round. He even got a, a nice high crotch uh, takedown. That was pretty nice. And then suddenly, as Morrow went out called it, the miracle in San Jose occurred. This is uh, a, less than a week before Christmas, so it makes a lot of sense to call it the miracle in San Jose, you know, the immaculate uh, conception, you know, the, the uh, Mary, did you know? Yeah, the, yeah all that stuff. But the miracle in San Jose happened. Holy crap, Smith seeming to sense that he needed to finish to win unleashed some big strikes and caught Kung with a left hook while stepping in after a faint right hand which he talked about after the fight that you could see it on replay where he'd kind of fainted this right hand and Kung bought it and it opened him up for the left hook and he got nailed this stunned Lee who started to fold and Smith poured it on he landed a straight right dropping Lee who was face down Smith followed down to the mat uh, and and started you know started swinging but Big John stepped in and what a comeback this was, an amazing, I mean, just getting beat up from pillar to post had almost no moments <laughs> in this fight. I mean, literally almost no moments in this fight. And then finally gets his first big one. It looked to me that Kung's nose was broken. It, it was. It looked smashed and, and his, his nose was bleeding. Um, but And that was probably the sound we heard when Smith initially landed that left hook. But absolutely amazing comeback win for hands of steel Scott Smith.
1: You know, I've watched this fight a few times and you can see Kung. Sorry, you can see Scott Smith just getting his range a little bit in the second round, even though he's getting pummeled. You could see him landing. You could see that his punches were affecting uh, Kung Lee. Uh, It it was hard to, to, to sort of point it out in the moment because Kung Lee was throwing these incredible kicks. So. But you could see that something could be up here if if Scott can just get close enough to nail him. Um, you know, Kong, as great as he as he was as a striker, he he was not not good at taking a punch. When he was hurt, you knew it. His entire body language showed it, and, and you, he he would get this look in his face like, "Where am I?" And, and compare that to the Gilbert Melendez and Josh Thompson fight, where clearly both guys were rattled in that fight, but. They didn't fold up like a lawn chair like, like Kung Lee did. Like when Kung Lee got it, it's like, you smell blood. You know, I can win this. You um, know, I think one of the problems. So when you, him... fight,
0: when you fight Matt Linlin, you smell Linlin. When you fight Kung Lee, you <laughs> smell blood. That's exactly. where we're going. That's, okay. that's
1: where we're going. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things about Kung Lee being so dominant and fighting guys who uh, are not at his level. Is that the first time you get hit in the face? You don't know how to react. I don't care how good you are. The first time somebody punches you, you just like, or like, what happened? You know, whether it's Mike Tyson with Buster Douglas or it's Kung Lee here, um, you need to get beat up a few times before you realize I can, I can do this. I can, I can, I can fight out of this. Uh, but Kung was done as soon as he was hurt you know, it was over and it was the same thing when he would fight Vanderlei Silva in the UFC in his debut uh, later on. Uh, He was just, he just over when he gets hit. And let me just say Scott Smith after he won, you know, he kind of put his hands up in the air and he was still on top of Kong. And it's just like, man, I want to root for you because you were so, Oh, he was
0: so happy. He was clearly so happy. Yeah. He, uh, he kind of hugged one of the strike force guys. I always see this guy and I don't know his name. But, um, he was on his knees and just kind of like soaking in the moment and this just hugged him. He was just so happy, you know, so, so happy. And obviously it was his brother that came in. I, I don't know if you noticed that his wife came in, but there was a guy that was like his twin. So it had to be his brother that came in and they're just, they were all so happy and it was pretty cool to see, but. Uh, these two would run it back and, and battle once again, the following June at Fedor versus Verdun, uh, which I was there for that. Uh, it would be the final strike force fight for Kung Lee actually. And Josh being a huge fan of Kung, uh, and Scott Smith that I know you are, you are looking forward to covering this one as much as I am.
1: I am not looking forward to covering <laughs> that one at all. mostly I was there too. I was not working. I was in the audience and, uh, yeah, I just like. Yeah, don't talk about it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about it, but no, that was a bad night for me. That was a bad night. It was a bad fighters. night for me. Yeah, I, I, I uh, you know, I don't really care who won between Kong Lee and Scott Smith, but. Um, you know I kind of wanted to see Scott Smith at least you know do better than he did. that was yeah. what I was hoping, but we'll talk yeah. about that yeah, yeah.
0: I, I would always pull for Kung being that I that's where I was you know that's I'm from the Bay Area so Kung being and I knew who Kung was before Strike Force came along because I you know I would always see the martial arts posters and upcoming kickboxing fights and always would see Kung I knew who he was so yeah, yeah no I, I, it's gonna be a hard one for both of us to cover because of Fedor's heartbreaking. Law. So we'll talk we'll talk more about that. Uh, also, uh, I wanted to mention that uh, Scott is is has agreed to be on the show. Josh has already conducted the interview with Scott. We'll get to that in just a second. But you will be hearing that uh, you'll be hearing that interview soon. But uh, let's wrap up this episode. No, no fighters pop for drugs of abuse or performance answers after the event. Total disclosed fighter payroll of six hundred and thirty three thousand six hundred seventy five dollars. Notable salaries: Kung Lee got 150,000, while Scott Smith got 55,000. Gilbert got 55,000, while Josh took home only 30,000, which is kind of interesting. Jacory got 65, and Lindland got 50. Mike Whitehead got 30, while Kingmo got 20. Although he actually didn't get 20, uh, he got 19 because he was supposed to get 10 to win or 10 to show, 10 to win. But he was fined 10% of his show money, so a thousand dollars. Uh, for splashing energy drink around the cage after his win. Despite being hit in the wallet, Mo promised more antics telling Tap Out Radio, I don't care. They can find me. I'm going to do something after every fight just for them. They created a monster by finding me. and I'm sure <laughs> you love that attitude. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed this event. It didn't come across as being a major event for this this time, as it was missing fighters like Fedor Cyborg and, Cyborg and, and Nick Diaz. But uh, it, it certainly delivered on the action and... Once again, Strikeforce had new stars on its hands with King Mo and Jacare making statements, while Thompson Melendez too was amazing and set up a, a rubber match, and Lee Smith was just so memorable. I, I can't. You can you imagine where Strikeforce might be today if this had been the the CBS card rather than you know the the what ended up happening in Nashville? So, uh, Josh, what did I know? You got some statistics to share, but what did you think about the fight? the event yeah i thought
1: it was a great show uh you know wrestling observer they had a poll 161 respondents gave it a thumbs up which was like 99 percent of um you know the people who responded so uh, i think people enjoyed the show it, it was a it was a great event and i don't know you know how you could not like it, it was so, so many so much good mma on display you had the melendez and thompson match it was, it was so good you had scott smith's comeback which you know, we all want to root for the underdog, and he pulled it off. It was interesting now that Kung Lee had lost, Frank Shamrock had lost. You know, at one time they were fighting for who was gonna be the king of San Jose. So we're kind of seeing the the company transition a little bit here. Uh a little bit of like these guys both lost who's gonna be the next big star. And you know, you had all those guys from the UFC or you know you had a uh, Dan Henderson there from the UFC and then you've got these new guys being introduced so it was sort of um kind of a, a little bit of a change here with this a little bit of a literal evolution of the card um obviously Mauro Ronello is great he you know you need to listen to this show watch this show just for that main event and his call just really something making that scott smith moment feel like a rocky moment but in in real life uh you know he made you feel like you were watching something special and important that it was historic um you know it was probably strike force best card i don't know what you think but i mean this was one of if not the their best show they ever put on
0: yeah i, w- I mean i want to see more before we call it that but it was yeah. definitely a a great card and i just i could watch josh and Gilbert fight today, probably, you know, like I could probably enjoy them fighting today. So, uh, but coming up next, we will feature two debuts as Josh will make his inside the hexagon interview debut. And he's going to going to interview Scott hands of steel Smith. Uh, that is already that, that interview is already taking place. And so, um, I'm looking forward to, to editing that interview this week. I haven't actually listened to it yet, but, uh, but that, but look, fans, you can look forward to that. After that, we're going to be going through Strike Force Miami, which was headlined by Nick Diaz versus Marius Zoromskis in a bout for the inaugural Strike Force welterweight title. You can guess who won that one. In the co main event, Marlos Kunin challenged Chris Cyborg for the women's featherweight title. Also on that card, Bobby Lashley and Herschel Walker made their Strike Force debuts, and Robbie Lawler slugs it out with Melvin Manov in one of the most brutal run one round fights in Strike Force history. That was a crazy, crazy round. So I'm looking forward to covering that packed card. Make sure you follow us on social media. and fi- find us on Twitter and social and, excuse me, Twitter and Instagram at The Hexagon Pod. And you can reach me at phil at insidethehexagon.com. Would love to hear from you. But with that, we're going to go ahead and ride off into the sunset. We hope that you stay safe and we hope that you will stay healthy. And we hope that you enjoyed the last night of wrestlemania <laughs> yeah, i'm looking forward to shutting this down and going downstairs and turning that on uh, but we will ri- we we will talk with you soon stay safe stay healthy we will see you soon